Teenagers. I'm James Schoen. And I'm James Certin. Conversation, expertise and advice on the world and well-being of our teenagers. Uh, hello and, and, and welcome to Talking Teenagers. Today we are very pleased to be welcoming onto the podcast uh, Jack Kenmere. Jack uh, is employed as a teacher at Highgate School and has a passion in the co-curricular side of school life. So Jack, can I just ask, you know, recognising that some of the people listening may not actually really know what the term co-curricular means. What, what exactly is it? Okay, well, firstly, thank you for having me on. So the way I perceive it is uh, there was a shift a while ago from, uh, we used to call it extracurricular activities, which was all, it was almost seen as this extra element to education. So obviously kids go to school um, and primarily they, the aim was for them to come out with good exam grades to go on to the next step. And there's been this shift to co-curricular activities to sort of um, suggest that it's more of a... An equal footing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think that's a really big change and an important one. And it, it sort of encompasses all sorts of things. So it can, it can encompass sport, it can encompass music, drama, sort of general societies. Um, but the way I always describe it, if a parent asks, is it, it's anything that's not an academic lesson. Um, and often academic departments, they, they introduce societies which add elements and sort of expand on the, the subjects and the content that they're teaching. But it's perhaps stuff that's not covered on the syllabus. And it's, it's these e- extra bits which sort of um, instill a passion for whatever children desi- decide to go into. Yeah, it's interesting about the, the idea of the word lesson there, isn't it? Because there's still a lot of learning in the co-curricular, the learning that goes on outside of the classroom rather than in it. What kinds of learning in that sense do you think that young people can gain from the co-curricular? It's interesting. I, so when I did my PGC, I remember a lecturer saying that there was this big obsession at the time with life skills. I sort of a bit naively at the time thought, I don't really know what these life skills are. I'm not really worried about them. And obviously I've picked them up somewhere and I didn't really think about it. And I think it's things like resilience, leadership, teamwork. I love the word or the sort of term bounce back ability, which personally I think co-curricular activities are they are the the perfect platform whether it's struggling to learn a musical instrument losing a football match having a debate with somebody which you perhaps disagree with and learning that in life you are going to have setbacks there are going to be disagreements it's the perfect platform to learn those skills which perhaps some academic lessons don't allow you to do and that's how I sort of see now co-curricular activities moving forward and developing um, for schools across the country. Do you have a, a belief, Jack, that, that some co-curricular activities are more valuable than others? Personally, no. Um, and I think that the route that we've taken as a school, which I think is the completely the right one, is that the kids have to dictate what the co-curricular opportunities are. And clearly, kids, we, we can't provide everything. And often there are constraints on what we can provide, especially at the moment. Um, but I think actually asking the kids, look, what do you want to get from your co-curricular activities? What societies do you want? What do you want to learn? And they come up with the most amazing ideas. And we had um, society this year, they called it the Random Act of Kindness Society. And it was literally just a society, a society just to give back to the community, which we hadn't really thought of. Um, we do have a really strong community arm to the co but it we hadn't thought of that idea. And, and it was a completely pupil-driven idea. And it involved stuff like giving out cakes to the sick formers when they were going through their exams and it was about going into local community and just listening really often teachers don't have the time to come up with these ideas and we've got a million and one sort of things to think about and the pupils have the best ideas so that's how I see it. I love that idea of giving them ownership of, of their own 
learning in that respect and and helping them sort of set the agenda as it were and I love the idea from just what you were saying as well about modeling listening you know that your staff body are hearing back from the pupils and showing them the importance of listening to everybody's ideas and stuff like that so it seems like some of those life skills even in that moment are being encapsulated just by that process of finding out what they want to do have there been other little surprises like that for you um I mean it's even just sort of you would say that most staff don't listen to the music the kids listen to now and they want to investigate different genres whether it's um political ideologies or whether it's music and as long as it's safe and as long as it's appropriate for that age group personally I do not see why there's why there's an issue in running that I think as long as it's it's managed well and staff are there to support them so are you in charge of a rapping society then or are you <laughs> I mean I can't say my rapping's very good I'm afraid I, I, I can't the credit goes to another member of staff for that but it's uh, it's it's even that you think the kids have these ideas and I mean, I'm not an, that an, an old member of staff and, and I look at what they're growing up in now and, and the world they are adapting for. And it's so different even to when I was at school, an older member of staff when they were at school. And I think that it's often hard for us to sometimes perceive what they want to learn and what they now see as a life skill. So I listed a couple of really basic ones. And actually the life skills they might want are stuff like programming or social media. And, and it's stuff that we probably aren't that worried about. But for them, they're the fundamentals of what they want to be able to go on and do moving forward. Yeah, you, you use the word adaptable a number of times. And I think a good co-curricular of activities does have that adaptability, doesn't it? And again, it's slightly modelling it to the, to the pupils. I mean, I think we've all had to, through this period, be adaptable. And, you know, we've, we've said before, I think on this podcast, this generation of pupils, it might be a really uh, powerful thing actually having to adapt to this series. And in the long term, they'll be very... You know, when, it, when something like this happens or there's a big jump again, they might be really well equipped to deal with that and find new ways of getting around the problem. And it sounds like that's partly what you're doing through these activities as well, is, is getting them to think about what they need in the future. Yeah. And I think it's that word resilience as well. It's a, it's a tricky world we live in. We may have another pandemic. And I think the whole nation has, has shown an element of resilience in how we've dealt with this. But if anybody has modelled that the best, it's, it's kids. They have adapted and been resilient in a situation which is hard. And often in co-curricular activities, you have to be resilient. I think it's sport is a big passion of mine. I'm a, I'm a PE teacher and, and that's just another really really good platform for learning actually that you know what failure is going to happen you are going to fail at something but being good at failing is actually a skill I think you've got to see that it, just because you fail at something doesn't mean you're not good at it it actually means that you're not good at it yet and I think that's a really important message for pupils um, moving forward. Yeah I was reading a um, well reading or listening I think I'd probably more appropriately say but was listening to an article talking about how teaching children, young people, how to fail successfully was one of the most important things that a teacher could ever teach a pupil. And, you know, I talk about how young people, when things go wrong, should reflect on it and refine themselves and learn from it rather than what we all do too much, which is dwell on it and then and then define ourselves. It's a, learn, it's a learning opportunity. And I think that school is about learning. They are there, people are there to learn. And just because it goes wrong, whether it's music, drama, a lesson, an exam, um, I think that in that ethos of look, this is just another opportunity to you, for you to learn from that. So, so resilience would be one big thing. What else do you think can be really taught through the co-curricular program? 
essentially, so we're just designing our um, COVID co-curricular programme. We were discussing what do we still want the kids really to take away from co-curricular? Which, and actually, we are limited. We can't offer everything we want to offer. So what are our top, top sort of opportunities? And when we sort of settled on a couple of things, so we looked at public speaking, obviously, is really, really important. Being able to stand up in front of a room of people, um, whether it's two people and you're having an interview or whether it's 100 people and you're delivering a, a manifesto or whatever you're doing, public speaking is so important. So that's one of the ones we've settled on. We've looked at community awareness and perhaps not many people would associate being aware of your community as a life skill. But that's showing that compassion for the community you're in, whether it's the school you're in, the university, the company. For me, I, I think it's hard to sort of place an emphasis on any of them because they all sort of contribute to one big benefit that the programme has to offer. And again, for some pupils, public speaking might be a skill they really want to develop. And for some pupils, it's not going to be at the top of their list. So giving them the flexibility of choice. I think, if anything, the, that word choice is so important when they're picking those extra elements, those co-curricular activities. Um, and we really sort of hope that whatever people we have, they will find something. Um, and we thought quite hard about that recently because obviously the kids can't pick from everything. So how do we still allow every pupil at the school to find something, even in a world where we just don't have the flexibility to offer? It's interesting, you know, public speaking is an interesting one because obviously some people absolutely hate the notion of public speaking. And then, you know, we talk about sport and things like that. How much and to what extent is the co-curricular doing? I guess what every curriculum does, which is pushing them out of their comfort zone, requiring them to have the language of today, which is the growth mindset. And how much is it too, which I think is a very necessary function of the co-curricular, which is to allow them to sort of blow off steam. People, For some people, playing sport is tremendously important. For other people, singing is incredibly good for their well-being. I guess there's a real mixture of those two features, isn't there? And how do you maintain the balance of that? Well, I think that so we look at we've got a house system at the school that I work at um, and a lot of the house events. We've got an amazing cup called the Charlie Cup, which is a bit like um, a sort of Harry Potter Cup. And a lot of the, the events are centred around co-curricular activities. So we have a massive house singing. We have a massive sort of uh, house debating. There's a house maths challenge. There's house sport. And often in a house system, you have limited numbers of kids. So you will naturally be pushing yourself into uncomfortable situations. So. The whole house has to do house singing. In essence, there is no place to hide. You're all going to be on stage at the same time. So you're going to have to participate. And often being in that team environment gives them the confidence to do it. And in an ideal world, and, and I hope this does happen, pupils may find a passion by doing these things that perhaps they've been a bit coerced into doing by their head of house. And often you hope if a pupil finds that passion and thinks, do you know what, actually, I quite like football or I quite like netball or I quite like singing, they then may decide to pursue it a bit later on. Um, so I think that link of the co-curricular and the pastoral systems becomes quite a key cog in the sort of the, the machine of a school. Um, and we look a lot at sort of tracking the pupils and what they're doing. And often you'll find that there's pupils who might do loads of stuff. They might be doing something every lunchtime, something every break time. And it's actually sometimes it's about reining them in. And on the flip side, you may have a kid that does absolutely nothing um, other than the sort of the compulsory elements. And it's how do you encourage them? to push them into those comfort zones and actually pushing them into areas where, although they might not want to be there, it's going to be beneficial to their development. So to answer your question, I think that the pastoral staff and those pastoral relationships that staff and, and pupils build is important for that because if a pupil can trust me enough to say, you're not going to enjoy this, but actually it's going to be you, I think you will in the end and, and it will be a good experience for you. If they've got that sort of professional relationship with me, they're more likely to do it. 
Um, and I think that's a really important thing and, and sort of part of the co-curricular program is encouraging the kids to do it and having those relationships to be able to do that. That, that notion of tracking that you've just mentioned is really important, isn't it? And trying to know your child well enough to know they can do six activities and actually it's really good for them. But actually for others, two is, is as much as they can handle. And for some, they're going to try and opt out of everything and actually is pushing them to do more. And I guess that's a conversation, is it, between the school and the parent and the, and the pupil to just try and get the right balance there? Yeah, I think we're often asked, what's the right amount or we're often told asked oh my pupil a is is not i don't think they're doing enough or pupil a is doing too much and they and that question of what is the right combination and there isn't a simple answer and yet you're completely right it's 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 that conversation between that triangle between the school the pupil and the co-curricular program and actually those conversations of look actually do you know what i think he's doing enough i think he's doing really well on the flip side, it might be, yes, actually, he maybe he doesn't need to go to four football clubs every week. Maybe he could rein it in a bit and focus on something else or perhaps dip his toe into some another activity. Um, but it is just open communication and just actually the ability for parents to look past results. Often, I think, especially in sport, perhaps parents do worry, oh, I really want my pupil to be at a team who wins every week, but they're only going to play 10 minutes. May, that's not going to be beneficial if they're at a team where they're playing and they're enjoying it and maybe they lose every week it, it shouldn't be about results and it should be about just enjoyment um and for me that's the most important thing yeah i think music can suffer from that can't it you have to get to grade three or four and actually so often you hear music stuff saying look just forget about the grade and just concentrate on enjoying it you know and actually not worrying about it i mean i, I was going to ask the question for the co-curricular it does strike me that it's an area of, of real middle-class angst for parents sometimes you know if Johnny's not got grade two guitar and he's not learned to swim by the age of six and he's not in the top team for football and all the rest of it you know they can sort of beat themselves up and you do sometimes sadly see parents who seem to be dragging them from one activity to the other in, in a sort of unhealthy way how would you caution parents in that area? Parents know their kids and I think if, if the enjoyment is taken out of an activity for me, you've then got to question, what, why are we doing this? If you are dragging a pupil, and I remember this having a conversation with my parents that I used to go to a cross-country club every Thursday, and I used to really love it, and then actually it got to a point where I just did not enjoy it. And it was that, I, I think it's that openness to say, I'm not enjoying this anymore, and for parents to see that a pupil isn't enjoying it. Um, if you're having to drag somebody to an activity for me it's not worth it they should be the first ones out the door fantastic it's football training fantastic we're going to orchestra fantastic it's ballet whatever the opportunity is and it's being aware that as pupils grow older the pressures mount and the sort of the societal pressures of exams social media just general pressure does mount so naturally co-curricular participation is going to decrease there's some really interesting um studies that have linked social media use with co-curricular participation both in and out of school and there is a negative relationship the more kids use social media the less they want to do and I think there's a natural decrease but also it's knowing when a, when a kid does need a little bit of gentle encouragement and although they might be saying I don't really want to go to football training today a parent knows their pupil better than anybody and they will know that actually they're going to get there and say oh do you know what? I'm delighted you made me come I'm delighted you put me in the car um and that's where I think parents are, are really well placed in, in knowing their kids. I guess there's a, the flip side of that as well, isn't there? Is that sort of knowing 
when they've got to see something through. No, you join this football club for the season. You need to take it to the season. You can't give up on your judo lesson as I would definitely have wanted to do at the age of 10. <laughs> no, you're going you're gonna to see it through until the end of this term. So I guess there's a, just balancing those two is important, isn't it? Yeah, and often I think it's a it comes back to that conversation with the school because I think co-curricular participation or a change in participation, whether somebody just loses interest in something all of a sudden, can actually be an indicator for something else and something which the school maybe needs to investigate further, whether that's a mental health illness or whether that's a a bullying incident. It could be anything. There, There can be links between the two. And often parents, I think if they can understand that maybe there is a reason behind this and discussing that with the school, it can be a really early sign of something perhaps else that is going wrong. And I'm not saying that every time it is, um, but it's good to have that conversation. Could you prove to us that the links between co-curricular involvement and mental health? Simple answer, no, I can't. There are studies out there which obviously mental health is such a hard thing to measure anyway, and there are wellbeing surveys, et cetera, et cetera. And we, we have an amazing director of wellbeing who is investigating some of this further. But it's, a, you, it's so hard to measure a pupil's mental health. And often, if you ask a pupil, how are you feeling, or if you give them a survey, chances are they're probably going to give you what you want to hear. There are studies out there and, and there's sort of these loose links and the evidence is growing to suggest that co-curricular participation does benefit a pupil's mental health. Clearly, there are obvious physical benefits, clear psychological benefits, purely just being taken out of, not society, but potential pressures, whether it's being on mobile phones. It's very hard to be on a mobile phone if you're on the rugby pitch or the cricket pitch. And actually, for me, that's a strong enough link. Yes, perhaps I can't provide evidence to say, look, if if your pupil participates in eight hours of co-curricular activities a week, and that's not to say that eight hours is right, that their mental health is going to be boosted. It's going to be sort of a mental health booster. But what I would say is that it will benefit physically, it will benefit them mentally, psychologically, et cetera. Um, and that's probably as good as I can sell it at the moment. Interestingly, you've mentioned volunteering a few times, acts of kindness. And I, I, I read a book over the summer that, that did say that there was pretty hard evidence that one of the best things you can do for a late teenager, I don't think it was for early teenagers, was to get them to volunteer. And they were very surprised by a lot of the feedback that actually said that, that somebody who volunteers for an hour a week that age tends to to have a better quality, sort of well, sense of well-being than someone who doesn't, which I found really interesting. Yeah, it, I suppose as well, it, giving back to society, especially in schools, um, independent schools where they are, you're in a privileged position to be at the school. Um, and often I think people's don't forget that, but perhaps take that for granted and, and giving back to society in a way, whether it's volunteering for a week at a local football club or whether it's going in society or going to partnership schools to, to even suffer sort of like partnership reading. We run a programme called Primary Play Leaders where some of our pupils go and sort of just have a break time with a different set of pupils and in different circumstances. It just gives them a wider perspective of society. Clearly, I think us as teachers know that when you teach seeing somebody develop, seeing somebody improve from your input is perhaps the most rewarding thing in the world. And if you can see that in any way, shape or form, it's only going to benefit them. So if, if we're thinking of a, of, a, of a parent who's got a child who's really battling with their mental health, you know, one, one suggestion you would make is, is that they get, get themselves busy looking outside the classroom and you know, involving themselves in volunteering and maybe some sport or maybe some music or whatever it may be and would you say that a, a good starting point is for that child to, to choose what they want to be doing? I think 
ask the people what they want to, what they would like to do. And often if I, I think they, when you join a senior school, especially and, and being a lower school tutor, having seen kids come in who perhaps know nobody in a year group, often their friendships will develop in those societies, orchestra sports teams. And if a people is struggling to make friends, it is going to impact their mental health. It's one of the, the early um, issues that you face at a senior school. And that's the first thing I would be suggesting is get involved, find a club, find a society. And you're naturally going to, the people at that club are going to share your interests because you're all at that club for a reason. Um, and this is why I'm not concerned, but worried that in this COVID world where we're limited on these opportunities, pupils are going to find it hard because they're limited on their social interactions with people around them. There's year group bubbles. They may not be able to interact with um, friends in other classes. So finding a way to still have these opportunities is so, so important. I'd be interested in your opinion. Obviously, there are some people who just get really, really passionate about one particular element of the co-curricular program or a particular sport or instrument. And there's a lot of talk, isn't there, at the moment about the benefits of, of range or specialism. And, and how do you, how as a parent, as, as a, a staff body, do you help advise pupils in that area? Because some can get really sucked into to something very narrow and others can almost spread themselves too thin. I had, my brother went to university and he um, didn't get into the football team. Uh, Fair enough, these things happen. Um, but actually, because of the skills he developed in other co-curricular activities, other opportunities, he went and found a different group. And if you are focused on one thing um, and you go to university or you go into later life and then that thing is taken away from you, my concern would be, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to have the confidence to, to go into a different avenue, explore a different opportunity? Um, so the breadth of opportunity that you can have and the breadth of participation will only lead will only benefit you moving forward as you have that confidence to go into other things. I love that idea of actually being equipped to go off and do something else. You know, we've had um, pupils who've gone on and played ultimate frisbee at university, having been a really good hockey player, say, or lacrosse for the first time. And that, that sort of willingness to try something else, but to, to want to keep going with that has been really important, I think. Completely agree. The problem you have is that universities now are so big and so I think especially kids at the moment when perhaps a university in a COVID world will be very different to the ones we experience um, if you can find somebody in your accommodation your halls your college who has an interest or perhaps shares an interest in one of your other co-curricular things you've participated in it's only going to help you develop a friendship and that person might then introduce you to new people and it's uh, it's all that sort of it comes back to that mental health that well-being of getting out of your comfort zone being confident enough to say do you know what I've been invited to play lacrosse for the first time with a group of friends I'm going to give it a go it might go horribly wrong I might make a fool of myself but actually it doesn't matter because the benefits of you being there with a different group of people are so so important it's been a, quite a, a drive at our school, but elsewhere to get out in the wild a bit more as well, reconnect with nature a little bit. I wonder how easy that is to do in a city. And Yeah, so we, I mean, we're very lucky to have an amazing director of outdoor education who sort of have an overall responsibility for DV. We have huge numbers of kids who do DV. You should say that's Duke of Edinburgh for those that don't yeah, know. Yeah, sorry, Duke of Edinburgh. It, I think it's those opportunities naturally are getting you out into wider, wider parts of the world, out of London. And I think another opportunity is trips. Trips do provide that perhaps escape from London, which many kids may not have experienced before. I think that idea of, of getting them outside and, you know, just sometimes just teaching someone how to build a, you know, like get a fire, get all that kind of stuff can be so valuable. And it's interesting how 
some people really come alive in that kind of setting actually and, and people who've never really been in that or setting up a den or something and you see you can again it tells you you see something in a child that you haven't perhaps seen before or they've seen in themselves yeah and so orienteering and outdoor education is being now embedded more and more in not only co-curricular programs but the PE programs and X programs of schools as well which is great um, and orient you're right orienteering is sort of it's a problem solving task as not masked or it's not aerobic endurance masked by that but it there is obviously a certain amount of running which is involved um, and I taught a lesson today where I think the kids I had perhaps wouldn't have run as much as they would have done if I'd have said right here's a line here's a line you've got to run back and forward if you give them a puzzle that they've got to solve it they almost forget that they're running and running and running and they'll cover more distance doing that and enjoy it at the same time than if you put them on a line and test them and do the bleep test or the yo-yo test so it's again it comes back to enjoyment and if you instill enjoyment in an early at an early stage in a child's life whether it's whatever they're doing they're more likely to do it um, later on in life Jack that sounds fantastic I think we should thank you very much for your time I know you've dashed back from school to get to us to speak so really appreciate it I know it's a pretty crazy time of the year anyway at this time of year so thanks so much for your time I absolutely agree you've been um, really inspiring really interesting on the value of of being invested in other areas of life and um you know, in, in my language, one of the things that I always look for is look for those areas where young people really do seem to flourish. And when they're in that space, you know, in my language, again, you know, their balloons get inflated and they begin to start feeling more buoyant about life. So a really, really good message. Thank you very much, Jack. Thank you very much. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to Talking Teenagers. Music has been by Rue Paynes. Editing by George Purvis and James Certin. For more information about I Can and I Am Charity, who provide presentations and resources and help build self-confidence in young people, visit their website at icaniam.com. Be the soul.